Welcome to The Writing Life, the podcast for anyone who writes. I'm Holly Ainley, Head of Programs and Creative Engagement at the National Centre for Writing, here at Dragon Hall in Norwich, UNESCO City of Literature. In this episode of The Writing Life, I spoke to novelist Hannah Vincent about point of view and different types of narration. This is a topic she also explores for us in a new free self-paced course for NCW Academy. It's called How to Write Unreliable Narrators, and you can find out more at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk forward slash academy. Hannah Vincent is a novelist, short story writer and playwright. Her first novel, Alarm Girl, was published in 2014, and her second, The Weaning, in 2018. Her 2020 short story collection, She Clown and Other Stories, was shortlisted for the Edge Hill Prize. Her stage plays have been produced by, among others, the Royal Court Theatre and the Royal National Theatre Studio, and her radio play, Come to Grief, won a BBC Audio Award. In our conversation, we delved into the specifics of different perspectives that writers can inhabit, both at a technical level and exploring the effects that different perspectives and voices can have on readers. We talked about why a writer's choice of perspective is fundamental to the way a story is told, and whether any narrative voice can truly be reliable. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Hannah Vincent as much as I did. Hannah Vincent, hi, and welcome to the Writing Life podcast. Hello, Holly Ainley. (laughs) Thank you for having me. (laughs) It's lovely to talk to you. Um, So we are here today to talk about point of view or narrative perspective. So that is the official description is the vantage point from which a story is told. Now... I want us to get into the nitty gritty of all the different points of views, um, the pros and cons of them, the effects they can have on the story and on reader. But to kick us off, I'm going to ask you straight up, why is point of view so important? Why why should we be giving it this airtime today on the podcast? <laughs> it's a good question because it's, um, it is an, an element of writing prose fiction that tends to confound well it confounds me <laughs> it confounds student writers as well um so it is a good question why is it so important and I think for me um point of view is important because it's an issue of control and that actually any effective writing I think needs to be considered and needs um the writer to have thought about what they're doing, uh, what we're doing, um, uh, you know, with a view to exerting our artistic control over the material that we're generating. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're thinking about the point of view, the perspective from which you are telling a story, then that's really important, you know, and that, that is part of your, the creative choice that you're making or the choices that you're making. Um, And if you're thinking about whose point of view is your, telling a story from then you're thinking carefully about your creative choices and the, the likelihood is that you'll write more strongly I think yeah yeah that's so interesting about about control 
controlling your reader. But that is exactly what it is. I guess it, it's that how a story is told can be almost as important as the story itself. Sure. Yeah. And, and you know, so you know, we, we could have a we could have a story, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. But the and, and everyone knows that story. But there are any number of ways in which you could tell that story or relay that story and hopefully if you're a creative writer then you're going to be creative about the way in which you tell that story the choices you you make are going to influence how your reader receives that story and what they you know whether they come back to see your retelling of Red Riding Hood for example you know um (laughs) and and it's you you are controlling the reader but but more I think you're controlling your material um you know, because actually we can't, I mean, it would be lovely to think we can control our reader. And I was, I was told as a young playwright, I was told, make your, make your writing actor proof, which I thought was a bit mean because, you know, I worked with some very, you know, some brilliant actors um, who, you know, were, were fantastic in the way they interpreted my material. But I think what I was being advised to do was write dialogue that no actor could interpret in a way that I didn't mean it to be interpreted. And I think as prose fiction writers that's also what we're doing don't allow our writing to be interpreted by the reader as meaning something that we didn't intend so again you know point of view can play into that it's like the choices we make have to shape a story in the way that we want it to be shaped in the, in the, in the way that we intend it to be interpreted by a reader yeah absolutely and that's such a it, it's such an interesting point about um taking a story that we all know, Goldilocks and the Three Bears, mm. and and thinking about the the effect of if you told that story from a, from a different point of view, you know, from, um, I don't know, Mummy Bear's point <laughs> of view. <laughs> it's bowl broke, no, what is it? It's chair broken, it's bed slept in. Yeah, it, I mean. <laughs> it gets all its porridge eaten up. Absolutely, but also it just, it, it, it becomes a different story. Story, yeah. really doesn't it um yeah. I was thinking about um when I was thinking thinking preparing for today and thinking about another um like bestseller that we probably all know which is um Philip Pullman's uh his dark materials trilogy and how different that would be that's written in the third person but how different that would be if it was all written from the first person um from Lyra the the protagonist's perspective it would it, it the the worlds that's built in a story would be built in a very different way um as I guess what I'm trying to trying yeah. to say yeah yeah I don't know that I don't know that book I mean I I've, I think I've seen the film is it Golden Compass the film yeah oh, that's yeah. the first in the trilogy yeah. but it's it, I, I guess I was thinking of it in terms of world building yeah right. it's easier to do if you're yeah. um, writing in the third person but I feel like I'm jumping ahead a bit there onto different but, types but, but actually if you think about Goldilocks you know if you come at that story from the outside you know it's written in as a third person perspective you know oh Goldilocks did this she 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 went for a walk in the woods and she found this house and she went in and help, helped herself you know actually you come away thinking wow what an entitled little girl <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um whereas if you like you say if you told it from you know the middle bear's point of view maybe that middle bear would have a, a certain perspective on goldilocks herself you know uh, which might be you spoiled brat what are you what are you doing sleeping in my kid's bed <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So right away we can see that there's there's just so much nuance to this mm. um, 
to this topic. So you you touched on the um, having having been a playwright, and I'm interested in um, what that's what that was like moving then from writing for the stage, where it's 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 one very clear point of view. You're writing you're writing dialogue, um, and then moving into a space where ostensibly there's a lot more freedom I guess novel writing or or prose fiction writing and and how that kind of changed your relationship to to point of view and narrative Mm. perspective yeah that's another really good question because what I realize as you ask it is that there is no point of view I don't think Mm. in a play you know when you go and watch a play you as a member of the audience have access to the full picture. You see all the actors moving around. You might identify with one of the characters more than the others, and so your eye is drawn to them when they kind of enter the stage and move around the other characters. But there's no there's no one force, not even the writer, controlling where your eye roves or where your emotions I suppose I suppose as a playwright we are controlling the, the audience's emotion through the the shape of the story we're telling um so by 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 what you're saying does it did it perhaps give you access to having a point of view then becoming a a prose fiction writer yeah for sure I think that's it you know so within that tableau that I that I was aware of as a playwright which is a you know like a yeah tableau a, a stage picture I could then as a prose writer zoom into you know, uh, Hamlet or Medea or whoever it might be and see, oh, how they move through the play, how, what the novel in particular, but but even short stories offer you is, as a writer, is interiority. And, you know, you can play with that to various degrees. So if I'm writing from a first person point of view, then the interiority that I'm dealing with is, is massive. It's all interior. It's all how that character experiences the world of the the novel or the story, um, which and yeah, you don't get that as a playwright. Although you do get it. I mean, I came to playwriting from from acting. Actually, I did a drum degree at, at UEA, University of East Anglia in Norwich, um, and so actually, I think my experience of acting as a student informed, you know, the first piece I wrote, the first novel I wrote, um, because it almost felt like acting but on the page because it was a first person point of view um that's yeah so kind of role playing role playing the the character that I was writing about that's so interesting so there's something about the connection between um a voice coming through dialogue and then a first person narrative that we would we would read on the page they're the most directly linked Do do you would you say First person perspective or, or um, point of view is is your favourite way to write prose fiction. For sure, for sure, <laughs> it's the one that comes really easily to me. And I was very surprised. You know, I'm always very surprised when I encounter other writers who who find it difficult. I know Ian McEwan says that writing in the first person is cheating. Um, so what is it? What is I can't remember where I heard him say that. Um, and I kind of see what he means because, well, I find it very easy, but but I know um, other writers don't. So so maybe it's not cheating. It's just you find your 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 kind of comfort zone or your sweet spot, and 
And why wouldn't you stick with that? Um, you know, if you find it easy and because you can have a lot of fun with first person as well, you know, it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And I'm writing at the moment, the thing I'm writing is, is not in the first person. I'm finding it really much more of a challenge. Yeah. Really? So what, what would you say are the, the big differences? Is, do, you, do you feel there's more responsibility or? More responsibility for sure. And there's, you're stepping outside that kind of interior position to look at the whole picture. And then, I mean, I, I am slightly cheating it because I'm writing in the third person and I'm up close to a ca- one particular character. So in some respects, it might as well be a first person because I'm really up close. But then sometimes when I want to pull further away from that character and present a more, you know, a, a, the bigger picture, um, I'm finding that slightly challenging because my first readers who are looking at the material I'm generating are saying, well, who says that? Or whose point of view is that? You know, whose voice is this? I'm like, well, it's mine. <laughs> um, but that's not good enough. You know, it's like, and, and that's that goes back to the first point that we were kind of making about the importance of point of view is that if your reader at any point is saying, well, who who's talking? Who, who's this? Then that's a kind of indication that you fail to be adequately in control of your material. You know, the, the reader should never... Well, unless it's intentional, I suppose, um, you know, you might want to play with the reader uh, in terms of like um, disguising from them who's talking or who's telling the story um, or, or yeah. disguise from them the context of the story as a kind of as, as part of the game that you're playing with the reader. But actually, if you're not playing that game, then it needs to be very clear, you know, where the perspective is coming from. Otherwise, the reader is asking questions and they're feeling slightly kind of discombobulated or they're they're feeling lost. And I think our job as writers is is to take a reader by the hand and lead them through the story, you know, in a in a kind, hospitable, generous way. I mean, again, you might you might play games with the hospitality of your character or your narrator or or your, yourself as a writer. You might want to play play games with that, but but if you're if you're telling a kind of straightforward narrative and, and you want your reader to follow it uh, logically and in you know follow it in terms of the kind of sensory experience of those characters in that space. And to trust it. Yeah, to trust it. Yeah, excellent. Yes. <laughs> I can see where you're going with this. Yeah. To trust it. If you want them to trust the storytelling, then you need to be clear about it. Yeah. We yeah. wouldn't trust someone we didn't we didn't know or didn't pre- who didn't present themselves in a certain way, and, and the same rules apply to writing. But um, you definitely touched on something there that I want us to come back to about um, the opportunity that you have as a writer with point of view to deliberately play with um, your readers' perceptions and and levels of trust <laughs> in yeah. um, in that that um, point of view, but just. Just um, just before we we go there, you mentioned there about the what you're working on at the moment being in in the third person, but also being quite um, uh, limited to to or focused on one particular character. And I think that probably opens up a moment for us to talk about third person narration in, um, in a bit more detail. Um, we know that there are different kinds of um, third person narration that people can can um utilize in their writing um there is third person omniscient narration which is where well 
I'll, I'll ask you what you think of it, but I guess the definition would be like an all-seeing eye. The author is an all-seeing eye. Um, and then you've got that more limited perspective um, where it, or, or limited or third-person objective, I've heard it referred to as well, where it's very much um, the narrator still doesn't have an, an, an insight, um, an interiority, but they are sort of limited to focusing on one character. That was probably a terrible explanation of it no, all. <laughs> that was very clear. And I think what you're talking about is that John Gardner, is his book called The Art of Fiction? I think it's called The oh, Art of James Wood? And Well, I'm James. Oh, hang okay. on. That's, that's James Wood, yeah. No, John Gardner, maybe his is called The Art of the Novel. Oh, I can't remember. I should. It's on my bookshelf upstairs. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, I can go and get it so that we can put it in the notes to the podcast. But... um. He writes about psychic distance and that being a, a, almost like a spectrum uh, that ranges from that godlike or goddess-like position where you're right on the outside of um, a, a character in a world and then the spectrum can, you know, um, it, it occupies a range of positions from that outside position right to the most interior position uh, inside a character's head. We've got this whole range of ways we can use, use the third person. I just want to go back to the idea of an omniscient narrator and how that works. And to ask you whether you think uh, a narrator can truly be omniscient, actually. Can they know everything? Definitely. Well, maybe they can know everything, but we as readers... Um I think should be quite suspicious of the notion of omniscience and the notion that, uh, you know, that this narrator character or, or the writer, and they might be separate, um, know everything. Because what I, I was very struck by, well, James Wood says it in, in his book, How Fiction Works, and also Nikesh Shukla says it in um, Your Story Matters, which is, and I was so relieved to read it, there's no such thing as omniscience, both of them say. It's, it's impossible. And I was like, ooh, phew. <laughs> because I think it's really important, and, it, and I think it's no um, coincidence that this is um, something that writers are coming to now, um, because there was a time when, when, when no one would have said that, I think. You know, when, when there, was, there was a time when people thought that omniscient narration was perfectly possible, but that was, you know, a time when, maybe more people believed in God or more people had respect for a certain kind of authority. And I think as we evolve as a species, we are becoming more sensitised to the fact that there is no one order or no one point of view on anything and that actually our experience of the world is multiple. Um, there are you know, multiple ways of experiencing the same physical universe that we occupy and that's what... Um, you know, people like Shukla and Wood are, are pointing out. And I think it's a really helpful thing for, for writers to to remember that actually even if we think we're writing omniscient, omnisciently, um, we are still Hannah Vincent or Holly Ainley and our notion of what constitutes the world is going to be defined by our Holly Ainley-ness or our Hannah Vincent-ness, you know? Yeah, and I guess then a, a follow-up question to that would be, um, you know, would would a writer ever want to remove their sub, what is inevitably their subjectivity? Would you, as a writer, want to ever try and do that? Yes, 
<laughs> because part of the pleasure of, I think part of the pleasure of writing is that control freakery that we all engage with, you know, being the goddess of our universe is a very nice feeling. It's why so many writers write. It feels great to be in control of, you know, our characters and, and the kind of the world that we're showing a reader. That's, that's part of the compulsion, I think, um, that exists in, in, in a writing practice. So yes, I'd love, I'd love to assert my idea of the world on all of you, <laughs> every single one of you. But I suppose, you know, in our humility, what we have to recognize is that that is impossible or, or not that it's impossible, but that's what we're doing. That when I say the world is like this and this character is like this, all I'm doing is asserting my Hannah Vincentness on you as a reader. And that actually sometimes you might want to take that with a pinch of salt. You mentioned that the project that you're currently working on is much more of a third person, limited perspective. And I wonder whether you, you know, you have a preference between omniscient and the limited there in the third person. Like what's the the sort of um, effect for you as a writer? Yeah. Again, really good question. Um, and I, I'm much more comfortable pressed up close to a character because of my, you know, love of the first person. Because I, you know, yeah. I'm comfortable being in a writer's, uh, in a reader's experience of the world that I'm putting them in. That's where I want to be. Um, but I think there is, and there, there are, there's, there's a reason why I've opted for that for that position in in the thing I'm writing. Um, but I and I had some kind of rehearsal for it in the short stories that I've been writing over the last few years, and what I found interesting about the third person, a more remote third person, was that it it, um, it, it, it slightly lends itself to that kind of Goldilocks kind of tone. Uh, it feels quite archaic or feels quite um, apocryphal or something in a way that the kind of up close, you know, the third person limited doesn't feel like that. It feels more modern and more uh, more interior, obviously, I suppose. But I'm thinking about the story in my collection, She Clown and other stories. It's called The Mermaid and the Tick. And that is written from a, a third person point of view. And it is limited slightly to the husband's perspective on that. It's about... Uh, uh, um, a husband and wife who go on holiday and the wife is pregnant. And so I've limited it slightly. I'm kind of looking at the action through the husband's point of view because I want his vision of the pregnancy and their future child because he's in, um, you know, he's slightly ill at ease with the idea. And that's what I'm hoping that the reader will pick up by, by focusing the story through his perspective. But it's also, and this didn't, this wasn't conscious at first, but when I noticed it, and this, again, this goes back to our first, the first point we made about the importance of considering point of view, is that when I started writing that story, it felt very um, fairy tale-ish. For some reason, the, the kind of the way the writing came out um, as I envisaged this kind of world was quite fairy tale-ish. And so that then, when I noticed that, it made me write in a more distant way. So I'm not up close and personal with the husband. So when you say fairy tale-ish, I mean, I'm, I imagine sort of a once upon a time yeah. feel, yeah, yeah. Which, is, which you can yeah. do in the in the third person. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Because all fairy, I think most fairy tales are, you know, told in that kind of third person, mm. fairly remote. You know, we don't go inside Goldilocks' perspective. We just see her running through the woods and pinching the bear's possessions. Um, 
Yeah, and I, I suppose what happened was, you know, I knew that these characters were slightly kind of governed by their the type. You know, she's a mermaid and he's a kind of beast with a, a tick. <laughs> um, they were also going to a, um, uh, a cottage. There was also a game with a coin. So things like that, they, they struck me as being fairy tale-ish. There was a kind of a, a, an axe, you know, um, and some wood chopping, mm-hmm. which again, the, all the elements seemed to, to me to be speaking of a fairy tale-ness. And so I, once I noticed that, I borrowed that fairy tale kind of perspective or, you know, the not the voice of a fairy tale, but the position, the narrative position that one would take when telling a fairy story. So it altered the writing uh, in a very, I think it's in quite particular way. It's not like the writing that appears in the other stories in that collection, for example. And I can't think of anything else actually that I've written in that mode. But that's so interesting that it's, um, it comes back to to choice as well, which we talked about at the, at the top of the conversation it's it's a really how narrative perspective is a really conscious creative choice and it's not necessarily something (laughs) that you might have chosen from the outset but you kind of make it based on all the elements that have come together yeah and what I think think is important to say um for any other writers listening is that um you know, is a conscious choice and that actually it's nothing to be scared of. You know, it, it's as much as perspective can be confounding or, you know, point of view can be a kind of tricky element of, of our prose fiction practice. It It's nothing to be scared of. It's something that can you can work to your advantage. You know, that when I noticed that particular thing that perspective gave me in that story, it, it, it unleashed a certain um, element of the writing I wouldn't have found otherwise if I hadn't considered it carefully in that way so it's it can gift you as a writer you know it's, it's a gift oh, that's so interesting I, w- I want to keep moving through the, the the different perspectives but um um and come on to, to first person again um in a moment but before I do I just want to ask whether you've ever written uh, a narrative that has moved or shifted between perspective so or points of view so you might have you you know started in the third person and moved into the first person for example and and whether you have experience of that or or you've read a a brilliant book that does that yeah I'm trying to think I'm sure I have read a brilliant book that does that that shifts um and certainly my first novel Alarm Girl begins in a, a kind of first person child's voice but because it's quite an intense voice I was worried that I couldn't sustain that or I I, maybe I could sustain it but that a reader a reader perhaps wouldn't um, sustain interest in it or or not that they wouldn't sustain interest in it but that it was a big ask for for a reader to to kind of require them to stay in this quite um yeah limited by the virtue of the fact that Indy is a is a child, so there's stuff she doesn't know, um, and limited also, um, and kind of intense also because she's in a difficult position. She's finding her life challenging, so her her her, her internal kind of monologue, if you like, is is quite intense, um, and so to alleviate that for the reader, I then hop out of her point of view and offer different perspectives. Um, that, that kind of shine a light on Indy's experience of the kind of the events of the story 
So I go into her father's perspective, I think maybe once or twice, um, from quite a rem- um, uh, not a remote point of view, but definitely, you know, third person. Um, and I also go into her mother's experience, and I think that's first person from memory. Yeah, first person. God, I wrote it, I wrote it a long time ago, well, 2014. But that's, that's really interesting that... Um... That by using point of view, it allowed you to kind of give the reader this more rounded experience of, of the characters um, than otherwise you might have been able to. Yeah. It ventilates the novel slightly, give, gives you kind of breathing space, gives the reader breathing space. Well, and the writer, I suppose, but the, the reader above all. And, yeah, like you say, it, it, um, it, it gives you a different perspective literally on on Indy so that we're in her head we're understanding her or we're in you know her mother's head and we're understanding her but then when you when you then hop to another perspective there's a kind of a real um juiciness about being able to see those characters that we've been you know in their inside their experience and seeing them from the outside you know it's kind of what we'd like to do in life I think isn't it you know as much as you know we can be intimate with other humans our fellow humans we can never we're always on the outside you know so we, we can never kind of walk in somebody else's shoes we can walk in their shoes but we can't get inside their skin absolutely their which is the the gift and the, I guess the the playfulness that yeah. you're allowed to have as a as a as prose fiction writer exactly. and then I guess my question about have you ever read a book um, you can think of that plays with multiple perspectives was slightly loaded because I'd been thinking about A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. Um, And regardless of whether you read it or not, it's a great example of really cleverly being able to shift between perspectives. It, It starts with a third person omniscient perspective. I hope I'm going to get this right, but it's kind of peppered with first person um sections and then actually very cleverly i think as it goes on it it, it gradually the um, third person omniscient narration becomes more and more limited um to one character so it but again like you're saying it just it allows us to to kind of circle around one person and then in this case hone in on them yeah and i suppose again she made some good choices in that book in terms of, um, you know, using perspective in that way to make her point. Yeah. You know, the kind of the point of that, the point of that story, is embodied in the choices she made about perspective. That actually we see this group of friends from the outside, la la la, or this is how they operate, you know, as a group of friends. But actually, look closer. This is this is what's going on for one particular friend, and this is why he behaves in this way. Um, Absolutely, it's really, it's really and, smart. You know, I suppose I'm thinking as well about, and her name always comes up when you're thinking about perspective. You know, um, Virginia Woolf. Yeah, and how she managed multiple perspectives, but in a very fluid way. So she doesn't do you know break off a chapter and give it a character's name. You know, she will um, move uh, from, you know, one perspective to another within the space of a paragraph sometimes. And actually, what did I read recently? Toni Morrison also does it. I think she does it in Bluest Eye and I think she does it in jazz. And are we talking... 
And are we talking about, um, I mean, we can go there with Virginia Woolf, that, that um, very particular kind of narrative perspective or vo- um, point of view, which is stream of consciousness, which obviously Virginia Woolf's really famous for. And that, as you, as you say, there's, there's almost like no rules to it, but, but actually, as you've been saying from the top, <laughs> a writer's got to be completely in, in control. So it's sort of deceptive, deceptive yeah. in that sense. And, and the few times I've, <laughs> the few times I've tried, I thought, well, oh, Virginia Woolf and Toni Morrison, if they can do it, I can do it. <laughs> the few times that I've attempted to be that fluid or to be that um, promiscuous with kind of viewpoint. Um, my readers have always said, uh, who's this speaking now? You know, they've always pulled me up on it. So obviously you have to be Virginia Woolf or Tony Morrison to be able to do it effectively. That's the thing. That's the I'm thing. Sure. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm not sure you have to be either of those, but yeah, there's a certain audacity, isn't there? Yeah. To, um, to taking or to, to trusting your reader to come with you yeah. on that, yeah. with, on that point of view. But, um, it can be very useful for writers, I think, to study those, those, writers uh, and see like to literally get a passage from either of those writers and say well whose point of view am I in now okay whose perspective am I following now and mark it up on the on the on the page and just see I mean the acrobatics that they that they perform you know shifting from one perspective to another is is quite stunning absolutely fascinating so um, I'm going to now move us to talk back to talking about the first person because it's your favorite. <laughs> and also because I think there's something really interesting in the first person that we've sort, sort of touched on, but you also um, really explore in your new um, self-paced course you've written for us around unreliable narration. And I, um, listeners can't see, but I'm putting that in inverted commas, the word unreliable. Um, so I want to start with the question, do, do you think as a reader, we, we trust a first person narrator more or less instinctively than a third person, you know, this third person omniscient narrator? That's a good question because Mm, you would think so, wouldn't you? You know, when someone addresses you directly as a reader, I did this and I did that. We, we, because we're beautiful, humans are beautiful. We just, oh, did you? Oh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm going along with you, believing everything you say. You know, I, I think it's a really lovely thing to be that uncynical and to, you know, to open our hearts to our fellow humans, whoever they are, and just to believe what they say. <laughs> but I suppose when you're reading a novel or a story, the likelihood is that the writer is going to play a trick on you at some point with that eye, with that first person. Yeah. Maybe they won't. Maybe it'll be straightforward and they've just chosen that point of view because they want an intimacy with the reader. Um, but increasingly, I think possibly we are more, as readers, we're increasingly uh, sophisticated and maybe we are alert to the fact that there's some level at which we might mistrust that voice or look for the ways in which they're misconstruing their experience or misguiding us in some way. And it's interesting because you've already said that um, with a third person omniscient narrator, um, actually, we can't fully trust that because there can't fully be omniscience, but still we, we sort of tend to. So, so what are, what are then the, the benefits, I suppose, of the first person of the of the I. I mean, it mm. sounds like you're saying that it allows you as a writer 
to, to yeah to, to play and to be deliberately deceptive if you want to absolutely yeah it does it gives us that flexibility and that playfulness that you mentioned yeah and if you are I mean actually we should be much more wary of of any writer writing in the third person you know and and uh, attempting or pr- professing to to give us an omniscient or a kind of you know more um objective view of the events of a story we should be much more suspicious of that as we should be in life um so yes the the first person offers us definitely that playfulness that flexibility and and that kind of interiority that you know I, i'm certainly as a reader that's what i go to literature for is that companionship and the kind of intimacy and the the emotional journey of a, a story that's that's why i'm there and i suppose a first person narration or perspective on 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 a story would perhaps be more likely to give me that and and so if if we're talking about the fact that you know most I, th- I think you you touch on this in in your course as well that you know all, all narration particularly first person narration lies on a kind of scale of reliability but I, I guess um my question is are you saying that therefore unreliability isn't necessarily a bad thing it depends what you're going to do with that unreliability. I can I can think of certain unreliable politicians, and it's a very bad thing. Well, unreliable, unreliable as a as a as a narrative a point. Device. It doesn't. Yeah, as a literary yeah. device, unreliability is not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, it's not necessarily going to take us somewhere really dark. It's no, 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 not at all. Um, it doesn't need to be dark and twisty and kind of. Um, unreliable in a negative way um but I suppose and again it's it's again it's it's kind of quite useful in terms of life as well as reading and writing what it might alert us to is the fact that we all of us are just carrying our own experience of the world and that's all we can offer anyone else is our you know disseminating our version of events or you know our experience and that that that's useful as readers to be alert to that what are they telling me? Do I trust it? Can it be relied upon? Do I agree with it? Does it does it reflect my experience of the world? And if not, how does that impact my engagement with this character or with these events? And those are really useful questions, I think, to ask ourselves. You talked um, about your, your first novel, Alarm Girl, and that being a child narrator. And I suppose, could you talk a little bit about, um, I suppose, the fact that a, a child's voice isn't necessarily reliable, but again, not not necessarily in a deliberate, negative way? Yeah. Yes. As And, and again, in life, you, you would get, a, a, if a child tells you their version of events, of course, you're, you're going to credit them with that being, a, you know, a... Um, well, I suppose unless they're lying to you, <laughs> trying to get away with something, but you're going to trust that child's um, way of articulating their experience because you you want to honour them and respect them as a you know autonomous human being. Equally, you might think, oh, this person's only six, only been alive six years, so there's a limit to what they can understand of of the world compared to maybe my experience. But that doesn't mean it's any less valid. It just means that there's a kind of a gap between you, the reader, or you, the adult, 
in relation to that child's perspective on on events and that is a really creative space I think for a writer to work in working you know laying out that gap that that little chink between a child narrator's experience of the events of a novel or a story um, and what the reader might understand to be the kind of events of the story and and the child's place in relation to those yeah there's that's that's a, a as you say a really fascinating space for um all sorts of things to go wrong I suppose as well just, <laughs> when, when you feel like as a reader you know more than, yes. than the narrator yeah yeah and I mean I played with that in a in a more Machiavellian way in my second novel where you know hopefully the gap that opens up isn't just a gap of um you know a, a character's ignorance or innocence of a, of a certain you know set of circumstances there is also you know within that gap the reader becomes aware of certain elements of that narrator's personality or their experience of the world that that slightly contorts the way they might behave in the world um so it, it's not just a, a lack of understanding which it would be you know in alarm girl with the with the child narrator it's a lack of understanding and a kind of contortedness because of um bobby who's the narrator of the uh, second novel and yours um, this is your second novel the weaning the weaning yeah that actually she can't be relied upon um and b- because of uh, yeah because of how her mind works mm. which is a direct result of the lived experience she's had and that as we the reader understand that um we view the events of the novel in a in a way in a different way in a way that we wouldn't have looked at them in the earliest pages perhaps you know we're we're kind of slightly mistrustful of her you know her equilibrium you know in a way that perhaps when she opens the story um of course we're going to trust her we don't know we we haven't we've got no evidence to say that we shouldn't trust her I suppose that's what a novel does and a story but you know a novel you've got more time to do it 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 has this delicious it goes back to the playfulness that you mentioned it offers you this delicious opportunity to explore a movement from one set of understanding of a character or a narrator or a set of circumstances to an, another very different understanding of what's going on. And that's the journey you take a reader on. And yeah, I can, I can see now why the first person is, um, is your favorite, allowing you the space to, um, to do all this and, and whether that's, um, yeah, through the, the eyes of a, or the voice of a child or an adult, it's, um, yeah, there's a lot of nuance to it. Um, I want to make sure we touch on the second person, um, narration in the second person before we um, close up, just because I think this is often perceived as a really tricky point of view, a really tricky narrative perspective. And um, the second person is when the narrator is using the pronoun you, so they are addressing you, the reader, um, directly, which, yeah, I mean, to me sounds like the most difficult, but I wonder... Um, if you could just tell us a little bit about what it can do, what's the potential of that second person? I mean, I think it can operate um, quite similarly to the first person, actually, because you know we use it always we use it a lot in speech. You know, oh, 
you know, you go upstairs and you have your lunch and you do this and you do that. That That's mm. me saying, oh, I'm going to go upstairs and I'm going to have my lunch. You know, we use it quite casually like that in speech. And that sometimes you can use, I think, prose writers who might use that second person can use it like that. Um, equally, you could... <laughs> One could, <laughs> uh, one could write use it more formally, like a direct address, as if you were writing a letter. And, and I think two examples of that. I can't remember if they're in my online course. Um, I think the Ocean Vuong um, on Earth we're briefly gorgeous. I think that might be on the online course, and that's um, constructed as a letter to his mother. So the address you 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 is actually to a person you know, that we, the reader, understand to be the mother, you know, his mother that he's addressing. Whereas something like um, Open Water by Caleb Azuma Nelson, he's addressing, um, he's using you, but you is also, it's almost um, synonymous with the I. And so it's much more kind of fluid, less kind of formal, um, more rhythmic and well it feels it feels just more gentle more it feels more like an eye to me mm. you, do this, you do that and this is how you feel and this is and the effect of that is for me I think um it it places the reader very much in that experience because we're being told oh this is you you're doing this and you, and this is how you feel and so subliminally, it's impacting us by by uh, making us go, oh, you know, oh yeah, I, I did, I did feel that. <laughs> it's a really, it's almost like a magic trick. It, it, so it 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 literally places the reader in the position of that character that's being described. That's such a good example because I guess um, in your, my instinct was to feel um, and perhaps the a few second person narratives I've read is that the you can um, have the opposite effect and kind of yeah. make you feel more distant but that's exactly. a brilliant yes. example of it if it if it pulling you pulling you in and I, I know one of the um, short stories in your collection in, in She Clown is written in the second person as well isn't yeah. it uh, women of the year and I just wondered what that ex- why you decided to go for the second person there um, I think it, that's the, the last story in the collection. Mm. And I wanted, I mean, I I wanted to involve the reader a bit in the way that Caleb Zoom Nelson does in Open Water. I wanted to implicate the reader in the action of that story. I want to bring them in, draw them in to that, to that circle. And it literally is a circle. It's all, well, yeah, no spoilers because actually, you know, there's a reason why that story comes last in the collection. Um, yeah, so I wanted to implicate the reader in that way and, and kind of, you know, um, invite them in, offer that that invitation. And again, literally is an invitation to, mm-hmm. to the dinner. Have you ever um, started a story in one perspective and then decided to ch- to change or to swap the perspective? Yes, yeah, definitely. So with Alarm Girl, that, that started out as um, third person, third person narration. Um, and I, and I, I couldn't make it work. Well, it started out as a play, so there was no point of view. Couldn't make it work as a play. Tried it as a third person narration, couldn't make it work. It wasn't until I found Indy's first person voice 
that actually the, the, the kind of project unlocked for me and became um, doable. So it's like that, again, is really a good example, I think, of showing you what point of view can offer. If your writing isn't working, then, you know, shift point of view and see if you can unlock it in a, you know, in a different perspective. It, it can be really, um, a really useful creative force. I'm not going to use the word tool. I hate that. We don't have tools. We have forces, magical forces. <laughs> um, and then also there's a story in She Clown and other stories that I, I try to make work from uh, using the second person address. And I can't remember why I switched it, but, you know, I, I chose the second person because I wanted to make a political point about this character at a certain stage in her life. But for whatever reason, I then reverted to I, and I can't remember at what point in the process I, I did make that. It was one of those creative forces, I'm sure. <laughs> it was, it overcame me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Hannah, thank you so much. I've, um, sadly, I think we have to draw it to a close. There is so much more we could talk about and so many other examples, I'm sure. And I hope it's kind of inspired listeners to, um, to kind of dig around in books they've read and, and maybe revisit them and, and understand why perspectives were used or, or as, as writers to use that as an exercise, as you say, to un- unlock something. If it's not working, mm. try a different different point of view. But thank you so much for sharing all of that and for, for diving into that all of this with me because it is a complex uh, subject. My pleasure. Thank I've really you. enjoyed I've really enjoyed discussing it with you, this thorny issue <laughs> of point of view. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure. Another big thank you to Hannah Vincent for her time and to you for listening. If you have any questions or you want to get in touch, you can find us at Writers' Centre on Twitter and Instagram. We're on Facebook and you can sign up to the NCW newsletter at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk. As a UK registered charity, we rely on the generosity of our supporters to make our work possible. You can make a donation over on our website by going to the Support Us page. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please do consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a rating and a review, because this helps other writers to find us. Thanks again. Keep writing, and I'll catch you on the next episode.